In this segment of the Realmcast, we're delving into some heavy subjects related to addiction and self-harm. If these topics are sensitive for you, feel free to check out the timestamps on our YouTube channel so you can navigate through the episode more comfortably. If you're personally dealing with these issues, find helpful links in our show notes where you can seek assistance and support. The official podcast of Mortal Kombat Online. Prepare yourselves as we plunge into the depths of the Mortal Kombat multiverse, bringing you well-known and significant members of the Mortal Kombat community. I'm your host, the Mortal Kombat Phantom, and with me as always is my co-host, our lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, Phantom. This is the Realm Cast, where every warrior has a story to tell, and today's combatant is, this is something I definitely should have asked you ahead of time, just in case of pronunciation, but Shah Jahan Khan, did you I get it. that right? You guys, right. welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, guys. This is super cool. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to jump into your career with Mortal Kombat and what you've done a little bit later on in the show. But first of all, let's just ask you a couple warm up questions. Do you have any favorite Mortal Kombat characters? So, as I told you guys before we started this, I am a little behind on my Mortal Kombat knowledge. I'm going to be speaking from the perspective of, I want to say, 10 to 12 year old Shah Jahan, who was really into the arcade original Perfect. one yeah and the super nintendo version great so mm -hmm. i guess i would have to go with the og Liu kang i remember i just got in super nintendo as a 10 year old or whatever and i asked my parents to get me mortal kombat they said absolutely not so then i would go over to a family friend's house to play it because he was like already 16 years old and it was like cool for him to have it so i was like <laughs> a nerdy like younger kid playing uh with him but yeah i guess i'll go with Liu Kang, maybe maybe Sonya as well. Honestly, I guess if I'm thinking about it, my mom did dress me up as Raiden oh, when I was oh. eight years old. Yeah, okay, maybe those three. <laughs> if I can give like a three way tie, yeah. yeah. So clearly, Solid I didn't think three character. I did pick. not prepare, guys. I'm just going for it. That's, <laughs> That's perfect. perfect. <laughs> Obviously, you came into the fold really with the original Mortal Kombat game. Did that? sort of continue yeah. on later? Did you continue to keep up to date with a few of the games after that? No. And I'm so sorry to your listeners. Like, honestly, I have, I, I have not even played the game in a really, really long time. And I'm trying to get over some of my guilt for now being as much of a part of it as I am. So it's, it's, it's very cool. Any interaction I've had with the community so far has been like nothing but positive, especially for me, as, as I mentioned, I'm just kind of like a working actor. This was like a completely unplanned modeling gig which then turned into this super cool thing which does like fulfill <laughs> a part of my childhood you know obviously if you told me when i was a kid that i'd be able to do something that i would never have believed you um, well but so yeah i have not really kept up with it i still have not played the new one i'm embarrassed to say but you have seen clips of it i have seen clips here and there i uh, to be perfectly honest with you it's a little weird right now like i didn't realize it would be this much of a likeness. You know what I well, mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm like, they have my birthmark on the guy and it's, it's like my face, man. And I mean, yeah. I knew when I was, I knew that it would be somewhat, I had seen images of the previous face model versions of Quan Chi and stuff over the, mm -hmm. the different years and stuff. And so honestly, and I'm sure we can talk about this later, this whole like signing away your likeness and stuff. Yes, um, yeah. Definitely but like, get to that. uh, I thought it would be a little bit more of a mix of the two of us. And in some shots that I've seen, it's, it kind of is, but it's, dude, it's my face. And it kind of freaks, <laughs> it kind of freaks me out sometimes. So, so for, for those of our audience members, just to fill the audience members in that are listening in right now, you were actually the face model of Quan Chi in Mortal Kombat 1. And that's how you tie into this great big world of Mortal Kombat franchise. There's so many different people that have so many different inputs into this game and we're going to be going definitely deep into how this happened and kind of your thoughts on the whole thing yeah before we do that though let's talk a little bit about your career you are a, a voiceover artist you're an actor a musician like you said you even had a modeling gig to get this position and you are a fellow podcaster with your award-winning podcast king of the world that's right so kind of tell us how did you start down this career path where, where like this is 
a very broad career and, and there's so many different facets to it. Absolutely. Honestly, I credit my love of art and creativity to my parents. My parents are immigrants from Pakistan. They settled here in the Boston area in the 70s. My parents aren't musicians themselves, but I was exposed to all sorts of music. So music was kind of like the first creative thing that I always did. I started playing guitar and piano and stuff. And along that trajectory, I like started doing some high school plays. So that's kind of how I got a little bit into acting. But then I was a huge stoner college dropout. So <laughs> I dropped out a bunch. And then somewhere in there, me and a friend started this punk band called the Kaminas which has been described as a Muslim punk band or a South Asian punk band. We started around 2003, four, five, and we never got like super famous or whatever, but like we got to do some pretty cool stuff. We've been around for about 20 years. We got to tour the world playing music and that kind of became my life for a long time. I also uh, got sober about 12 years ago. That's kind of like a huge part of my story, uh, which I'm pretty open about on my podcast too. In terms of acting, I sort of got back into it after getting sober. So I joined like a theater troupe here in Boston. I've been at it for the last 10 years, I would say, uh, as like a working, struggling actor, whatever. And the, in the last two or three years, some pretty cool stuff has started to happen. I got to be on Succession this year. I got to do a couple of other bigger things which are going to come out. And that's one of the same agency that I'm with now. They hit me up with this random, what was called a face scanning gig at the time. And I didn't know what it was. And I had to sign some NDAs to even figure out what it was and stuff. But that's just a quick summation. I'm a still a very active musician. I'm an audiobook narrator. You know, you got to hustle, man. I am a contractor. I am married. My wife is a neuroscientist. She's like a punk rock neuroscientist. But her and I lead very like different lives. You know, I have like seven to 10 jobs at any given time. So that's just kind of how I do this thing. That's definitely reflected from what you've just told us. You, you've gone through, as we said, you're a voice of artist, you're a musician, actor, podcast, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot to you. And I kind of want to focus on the music for a second because I sure. checked out your band and oh, wow. I, I checked out a few tracks. One of them that springs to mind, I think it was called Tun. I don't know if I'm saying it correct. Yes. It's yes, a very Tun. long name. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's a, a Urdu or Punjabi word for mm -hmm. intoxication. And actually, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, I think the word would be eclectic. And I mean that Thank in a you. good way. My favorite band is actually Faith No More. And they are all oh, over the place. What a, oh, that's very flattering. Thank you. So <laughs> I, I really liked how, how there's just so much, so many different facets to to the band itself. And uh, going through different tracks, it, it felt like something different each time. So that was really awesome. It's always cool to actually go through the careers of people we get to speak to. And yeah, I mean, yours is a very interesting one, too, just because, as we said, you have a, a bit of something in everything. And that's really cool. And as you yeah. mentioned, you were on Succession recently. Now, I personally have not seen Succession yet, much to this that's many, okay. many of my friends who've been telling me. My wife me, doesn't watch really this. care for the show either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've heard it's great. Phantom was telling me to watch it. Or was it you? Yeah, I, I'm one of the people that have watched it. I mean, one of the people there's, there's, I mean, it's a hit successful show. So it's pretty wild that it was my first TV show to be able yeah, to how, be that. How did you end up getting casted for that? I got a manager last year and uh, I uh -huh. started auditioning and it was the first one we booked together, you know, it yeah. was just off of a, like this room that I'm sitting in right now, this is where I did the audition and stuff. And then from there, I couldn't believe that it happened. And I got to spend a week on the set and just kind of watch all these incredible actors do their thing. It's one of those things that you always wonder, if you ever get an opportunity like that, how will you fuck it up? Like how right. badly will you, you know what I mean? And it was, yeah, it was, it was not the first time I had been on like a major set, but it's, well, so that's how and coming into a show like Succession with such an all-star cast and then landing a, a, a speaking role through it too it, it's something worth and you never know i forgot about that part that i was originally i was cast as party guest number four and uh -huh. then i think my manager is awesome her name is melissa she i think convinced them to give the character a name so i got this name len and then i spent a week there and with these sorts of things they're called day player roles so you never know if they're going to cut it and for me just even getting the booking was enough to prove to myself that like, hey, I can do this. But I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh my God, I hope they don't cut me or whatever. But like, <laughs> but not only did they not cut the role, it actually was the perfect like little part because it was memorable enough to stick with people. Yeah. The character got his own Reddit thread because people were really? trying. <laughs> yeah. People were trying. That's amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. Like people were trying to figure out like, oh my God, is this guy like based on this like New York Times reporter or whatever? And just like, <laughs> 
Yeah, man. Yeah, obviously it is. It, I think the biggest show on the planet at the time. It's or whatever. Like I obviously got mm -hmm. texts from every person that I know, literally all over the world, and and I'm just so grateful, man. It has not been an overnight thing for me. Neither was music. It's always very nice to celebrate your victories and stuff, but I think it's also just important for people to know just how much of a slog this thing is. And in some ways, it's great to see the fruits of the dreams that we all have to do stuff. But it's important to just remember, and I don't mean to be corny about it, but you do have to just love like what you do to keep yeah. going after for, for such a long time. And I don't knock anybody for giving up or, or not giving up or just not wanting to do, you know, I've had burnout and stuff. I'm fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of different things so that my, I think, sense of self is not just wrapped up in one of them. And in all my creative endeavors, whether it's acting or music or voiceover, but I'm also just like a regular person, like... I don't live in Hollywood. I, I live at home with my wife and my cat. And like, I, I like that. Your career, as we stated, it's very broad in, in one sense. Uh, it's still the entertainment industry. Is there any particular focus that you, that you like to do with your career that, that you like to hone in on? Or do you just kind of take what's given to you and, and kind of go into it? I've done some honing from time to time. I feel <laughs> like... Um, as I, I mentioned, I'm turning 40 tomorrow. And uh, honestly, like when I have just allowed things to happen and let go of the result, that's when the best things in my life has ha have happened. And I don't say that in this ephemeral, you know, that of course I plan things when I try hard. And, and yeah, like there are steps that I took when my a friend, my, my friend Asad, uh, who's the head of our company, Rafelion Media, was like, hey, you want to host a podcast? I, I did have a day job and I was getting ready to quit. It was like the end of 2020, first year of COVID and stuff. And I just felt like I was at a creative stance. So my band, uh, Camino's, it's been almost 20 years. So we had stopped touring regularly. And I just felt like, the job that I got to do the stuff that I wanted to do was not letting me do the stuff. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I was just so exhausted and I just didn't want to do it. So that was the start of a rebirth, I feel, two, three years back. I have an uncle uh, in Pakistan who once told me a really long time ago that you have to constantly redefine success for yourself and what that means. So that's, that is something that I've tried to live by when it's definitely not been easy for me. I'm very open about mental health and stuff. I think that I'm kind of on the precipice of another one of these changes. So I play with a couple of other musical projects now. One is called Ravi Shavi in Providence. And then the lead singer of Ravi Shavi, uh, Rafi Rashid, I got to play in his touring ensemble for his new record called Kitchen Weapons. And we got to spend the summer opening for the band Deer Tick from Providence. And we got to basically oh, just spend. Nice. So I hadn't been on tour in a couple of years. So it just reinvigorated my love for music and music is the first love and it'll always be that. And it's, if I can just do that a little bit here and there, I do feel fulfilled and it allows me to do all my other stuff. I would obviously like to continue to grow uh, as an actor. Um, I mean, I'll just, I just want to keep doing cool shit, you know, like, yeah, right. It's not <laughs> like I, yeah, it would be great to be able to do this a little more sustainably or whatever, but I just want to be better at the stuff I do. I think the, that your band itself, I, I, I want to come back to it just for a second. Sure. Not in the sense just to talk about the band. I mean, it's, it's in terms of genre, as we mentioned, it's eclectic. It's all over the place. It's punk rock. You could, uh, you could identify yeah. it as psychedelic rock, uh, Punjabi, you know, at times, sure. rock, reggae, disco. There's, there's a bunch of different genres which you could associate. And I feel like that's kind of reflected in, I mean, I was going to say your career, but really within you as a person in the sense that it's so diverse uh, about how you approach life and even with the different gigs that you take. And I mean that mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, career choices. You, it's, it's yeah, all over I, the place. I yeah, I think honestly, it's a constant source of insecurity of accepting that all these different things make me up, but also sometimes being like, man, I wish I could just focus on one <laughs> thing <laughs> and maybe I would be happier, but that's, I don't think that's how it goes. I think like in the whole work-life balance thing, in some ways, this path that I've chosen is just not a balanced one. And mm -hmm. in the acceptance of that, you start to get a little bit of like, oh yeah, maybe that's just how it goes for me. That maybe like two days a month, I'm going to just doubt everything I've ever done. And that allows me to feel the highs of 
this other like amazing stuff that I get to do. I guess I'm not myself if I'm not constantly questioning things and like constant imposter syndrome. Yeah, possibly for sure. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. again, we can all all of us creator or creative people can relate to that kind of stuff. I I think. Well, you know, for myself growing up, I always heard people quote off. That one saying, a jack of all trades is a master of none. Exactly. Yeah. And it it always kind of hit me kind of hard. I was was like, I want to be a master of something. But then when you hear the rest of it, the rest of that quote is, uh, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes it's better than a master of one. And I'm like, is that really the rest of that mm -hmm. quote? Yeah. Yeah. That's a full quote. I love when this happens, when you don't know the rest of quote. Exactly. No idea. Okay. And it, it has so much more significance now when I hear that, I'm like, Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I, I love I'm, it. This I love is, I'm going to remember you and the thing my uncle said. So yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. You touched on your sobriety earlier. Sure. I, I don't want to distract or detract too no, much no, from no. your own show, but do you mind telling us a little bit about your story? Sure. There? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I grew up in suburban Massachusetts, a very quote unquote, safe, normal, not particularly diverse town. I started smoking weed with my friends, just like a a lot of people do. And for whatever reason, it just really got me, man. And it just really became the thing that whatever, maybe I had anxiety as a kid or I felt a bit of a misfit or or whatever it was. It just seemed to fulfill something in me. And it just sort of very quickly became everything to me. And, um, you know, grades started slipping, you know, friends started getting worried, parents started getting, getting worried. Barely graduated high school, uh, got to college, struggled a lot with, you know, other mental health stuff. And um, yeah, it got really bad. Uh, and I, and I, the reason I'm so open about it is because for me particularly, it was, it was the cannabis thing. I really didn't do much other stuff. So I, I recognize that for most people, it's fine. But those of us for whom it is a problem, it can be really serious. So by the time I was 19, I'd been in treatment and hospitalized for that stuff. By the time I eventually got back to school and started the band, this was kind of like the basis of that. I I would go in and out of treatment when my band started too, and that became like something that I could focus on and show up for while still struggling with the sobriety thing. And we did start to do well. We started to tour internationally and then sort of like all the lines I had drawn in the sand that I won't, you know, I won't perform high or I won't be in the studio you know, whatever. It, it just got more and more serious. I crossed all the lines. And by the end of what should have been one of the best years of my life, I was basically not really talking to my bandmates. I was completely unreliable. And I had to leave what was supposed to be this really cool life and kind of start from scratch. So I was 27 when I actually like got sober, sober. So that was just about 12 years ago. As I mentioned, I'm turning 40 tomorrow. It's been the best thing I ever did, but it was super tough. These sorts of topics are, uh, well enough known now that it's not as stigmatized as maybe it once was, you know, it's still not, that doesn't mean that it's not for some people, for some communities, particularly, I think it's, it's really cool that we're having, at least in the communities that I consider myself a part of, whether it's like a Pakistani community, Muslim community, South Asian community, you know, whatever. I think we're having more and more of those discussions too. I think all of this stuff plays into it with talking about representation and stuff on screen and all that. But yeah, being a, a person in recovery is a huge part of, of who I am. And I'm always down to talk to people about it and support in any way I can. I still try to be in regular attendance at, uh, for me, like meetings worked along with therapy and different stuff. And so it's still really, really important to me and I'm, I'm still pretty passionate about it. What was the process like? Obviously, you know, that realization that you need to to get help and you need to change something. Honestly, my family, like I'm so fortunate and this is not the case, I think, for a lot, for many of us that uh, don't have the familial support for whatever reason. And again, coming from a fairly privileged middle, upper middle class background, parents are still together, families very tight knit. If it wasn't for them, I, I don't think I would have made it. I was able to like move back in with them and recover there and go to different treatments and find therapists that way initially. And then again, later on, when I finally did uh, get it, I I have to give them more credit than anybody. But then from there, once I started attending different sorts of 12-step meetings, AA and NA and stuff, I was able to just find a community. Some Some ways are a little more dogmatic than others or whatever. I did sort of go through the formally writing process of the 12-step stuff. So for me, that was extremely transformational. I don't like judge anybody else's experience of whatever recovery you have. And I'm still really 
pretty close with a lot of people in that community today. So I think for me, the most important aspects of that were the community. Uh, I probably said the word community like a hundred times. Um, All good. All uh, good. <laughs> yeah. Like the support there, just knowing that people have your back. And that's also how I got back into music. I started going to this kind of treatment place center for artists because when I was getting clean for real or whatever, like I felt like the art stuff was behind me. I quit this semi-famous band or whatever. And I would, I kind of had made peace with it. I was like, okay, I'll go back to college. Maybe I won't do that kind of stuff again, but you never know. You just never know what life has in store for you. So I'm a prime example of that. You said as somebody who's in recovery, and that's what a lot of people who haven't been through the process don't realize is that you are in recovery forever at that point. I think people have different ways of dealing with the language and stuff. Or sometimes if you're at one meeting, you might call yourself an alcoholic or you might call yourself an addict or this and that. I say, you, I try to say person in long-term recovery when I'm in a forum like with you guys. For me, it's not a negative thing to say that it's more sort of an empowering thing. But I think that it can be different for people. And I, I try to like respect everybody that, you know, with their do process. You, um, stuff, so. Do you find that you still face any internal struggles related to that past life? Um, not really with using drugs or uh, I, drugs. I sound like a dare fucking ad. Sorry. Can I swear on this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all yeah, of okay. yeah, go for it. <laughs> Like not in terms of like getting high. I can do whatever. I have again toured the world. I do whatever I want. It's more the the mental stuff, which is really the root behind all of this. You know, I think from that, that is an ever evolving journey. I think I learn new things about myself. Like I mentioned, like this summer I spent touring again, being on the road. I loved it. Obviously after it was over, I got super depressed because like my creative fun time was done. So <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that because it had been four or five years since I did that. And it's such a pure, joyous thing to do that coming down from it is hard. And I'm also in the process of I did a little reevaluation and I'm doing another kind of intensive uh, writing thing uh, right now just to reinvigorate myself creatively. So you do have to work on that stuff forever. But no, I do whatever. And the cool people are pretty respectful. You know, people will always be like, I love it actually when if I'm at a bar or something with my wife or somebody is maybe they're just like, hey, I know you're sober. Is it cool if I am like, bro, it's been 12 years. I'm good. But I really appreciate that you asked me. Yeah. That. And if if for some reason I wasn't, I would just leave. You know, being a musician, I guess I will say it depends. Like the context is very important to me. Like if it's just a bunch of like messy, fucked up people, then it's not so much that I feel like, oh, my God, I might drink or get high. It's just more like it doesn't hold the same value for me. So it's not even about needing to do it or wanting to like lose that kind of whatever, like it's just, right. it just doesn't hold the same place in my life. And, you know, and I definitely, it's hard, you know, when you're first doing this and you hear somebody like me being like, yeah, I've been sober for 12 years. You're like, yeah, bullshit. Like that's, <laughs> you didn't actually, you know what I mean? So I get that it's like hard to see that, you know, for yourself until you do it. So. Yeah. Well, for those of our listeners who want to hear more about this story and not just this story, but your life as a Pakistani American Muslim in the 20 years since 9-11. I, I definitely recommend checking out King of the World podcast. Thank um, you. Thank you. For, I really appreciate you taking the time. Man. Oh, definitely. Like it, it's definitely worth a listen, especially, you know, it, it's a, a good story to hear and it, it's good to kind of understand these experiences that we all go through. And that's, that's part of what we do here at the Romecast is kind of tell the stories of the different warriors that come on. So yeah, we, we definitely thank you for sharing a little bit of, of that with us. Thank you very much. Never, never thought I'd get to be referred to as a, a warrior. <laughs> it's still pretty crazy man <laughs> i mean uh, there's definitely different ways that you can always apply the word warrior and i definitely yeah, feel it, it no, applies sure. here first aside even just from the mortal Kombat association just from your journey from what you've just told us you know everybody you. has a battle that they're fighting and it, it speaks for itself in terms of making you a warrior really in your own thank regard. you so much thank you um now, just before we do move into Mortal Kombat, I do want to touch on something that was kind of mentioned by both of you, really. Firstly, with what you were just saying about growing up in a place that wasn't exactly very diverse, and then also with relation to your podcast, which is really maintaining a sort of uh, diversity theme as an integral part of it. The, the industry itself, I, I say the industry, the entertainment industry really itself, has 
in my opinion, thankfully, seen uh, a growing emphasis on diverse representation. Mm-hmm. Have, how do you yourself see your role in possibly contributing to this movement? I think, I mean, so also, again, because I'm not in the video game world, does it also struggle with the same? I've heard like bits and pieces of it, but also maybe not. I guess depends on which game, which community. I think like for me, so my band, I feel like early 2000s, we may have been part of a specific wave of stuff. I think the cool thing now is that there's just a lot more creators creating stuff and that will inherently widen the scope of, and it already has. So I honestly, I feel like a little bit of an elder now, whereas like before, I think with the band and stuff, we felt maybe like we were sort of paving the way in certain Mm -hmm. ways. Now I'm actually really, just in terms of the kinds of roles I get asked to, if we're talking about acting specifically, like the roles I go up for are all over the place. It's not that long ago that they really weren't you know, so it's uh, that part that's been re- it really, really cool. And yeah, I just consider myself fortunate to like be doing this at the time that, that I am. Leading into Mortal Kombat 1, what was that process like for you to get that role in the first place? Was it like a succession where you had your agent and your agent just pitched you? It was weird, man. It was like I basically got a call or an email from my modeling agent, Jason, at the company Model Club. And it was a very nondescript thing it literally just said k1 face scanning that was the job we didn't know what it was so here's the deal this is the rate it's a one-time payment and it's for a video game i don't know what it is you have to sign an nda to even express interest and for them to even tell you anything else you just have to sign an nda that you won't talk about it i'm like yeah as long as i'm not a terrorist i'll probably do it i could use the cash you know what i mean so (laughs) like (laughs) okay yeah i'll do it so i signed I just, sorry i i'm gonna interrupt you there i just Absolutely. love that actual requirement now as, yeah as, really as somebody with my origins as well and, and my skin tone although yeah. i've been inside a very long time i look very white now but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like just to hear that requirement of as long as it's not this as long as i'm not a terrorist etc it's yeah. so good to hear that nowadays it really is because that is just the typical stereotype it's, no and it's on and that's with regards to your earlier question it still happens, but there's enough, there, there's more other stuff now. Yeah. So I'm at a place a little bit later where I don't anymore judge an actor for doing something like that. Of course. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but anyway, so, so I signed the thing and then a week later I got a call from, I think somebody in the UK and she was like, hello, Shah Jahan. Uh, are you familiar with the Mortal Kombat universe? And I lost my shit. I was standing like, I'm in, I'm in our second room. And I was, my wife was, uh, she was finishing her PhD at the time. And, uh, I, and I was like, uh, yeah, I know what Mortal Kombat is. Are you kidding, bro? I'm like, uh, so she's like, yeah, like we want you to be part of the game. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. I'll sign whatever you want, man. Let's do it. So then I signed, I think the second, uh, form. And then we, then it, it was like, okay, so they're, they're going to fly you out to NetherRealm Studio in Chicago, like the home of Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, something that I had not really interacted with for many, many years, but is still like a foundational part of me. <laughs> One of the first video games I, I really enjoyed playing. But I still didn't know my role. Okay, so I was under the impression that I would be maybe just some minor they they said like you know we can't tell you yet what you're gonna be yeah so then time comes to fly to chicago i get there i get picked up and they take me to which just looks like a nondescript office building or whatever and i walk in and it's like holy crap this is this is like everything you would imagine that's what it is yeah. and i go in and then i sign the final form because there's one more that you have to sign And that's when they come and tell me that, hey, like, so we picked your face out of thousands of faces to be the face of this character, Quan Chi. And then I was done and I was gone. I actually got to spend the weekend in Chicago and see some friends. There was a couple of people in the like gym motion capture area. So I think I got to meet the guy who is the body. I believe I did get to shake his hand. It was cool. I got to kind of like watch them do stunts and like as they're like uh, with all the thing there. 
And then I couldn't really talk about it for a couple of years. And then, yeah, earlier this year, you know, they, they put out a trailer and in that, you know, like Quan Chi is sort of like in the background and he still, he still has the features of the previous versions of him. So, uh, at least in that, uh, you know, um, so, first so I had sort yeah. of, I mean, it, it kind of did still have a little bit of me in there, but I was like, all right, whatever, you know, it's going to be like, it's fine. I did this. Maybe, you know, I can just say that, okay, I'm a bald dude. So yeah, it's totally me. Right. And nobody, nobody's <laughs> going to believe me anyway. So like, whatever. And then the thing comes out, dude. Yeah. And it's like, holy crap. So yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm basically still in that holy crap mode right now. <laughs> Many of my friends have the game. My bandmate is actually like, bro, I have, I get PTSD from like arguments that we used to have on tour. So I don't think I can, if I'm going to play you in this game, I don't think I can be the one that kills you. Yeah. Uh, I have to shout him out, boss. him. he's a, he knows all this stuff and he's been waiting <laughs> for this for probably longer than I have. Um, but, um, and yeah, it, and again, like I, I say these things with the, like, this is super cool. And I think that simultaneously because of where we are right now in this conversation about AI and oh, yeah. actor strike and all these things, like it's possible to have these two to be things to, to be like, look, man, like I don't, I signed the thing. Like, I know I don't want any money, but it, in terms of like, for example, I'm not John Claude Van Damme or Megan Fox or like, I'm still like a struggling actor. I, find it a little weird maybe that we don't get official credit which is why i'm so, again i'm so thankful to you guys and to like all the other fans that have shouted us out because for us this is like the complicated thing where it's like it's a livelihood but it's also just like i i, I didn't fully grasp it until now it's like no like it's like my face like forever <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, I don't. Well, you know, like somebody fatalities my... soon to be done on them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also just the idea that like, yeah, somebody kind of like owns my face forever. You know, it's yeah. it's weird. It's also it's strange. It's cool. And it's like both of those things. And I'm still trying to like process like what that means, you know. So sitting here talking to you, it's almost surreal because, you know, we, we played through the story mode and there's so many close ups of your expression of your facial expressions in the game. And yeah. seeing you here now on the screen, it's like, yeah, there's Quan Chi right there. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, no, it's, and, that, and it's cool. You know, I'm from all the uh, people that have been saying that, you know, whatever the face matching has been really good between my face and Quan Chi. So, you know, people, a lot of people have messaged me. I've never gotten this kind of like <laughs> fan type messaging before like i never used uh -huh. to use my twitter or whatever so yeah it's it's cool it's weird you know that when people yeah. ask me like what do you think about it both of those things on your reddit post you mentioned a couple of years ago you were offered this role and such and you said mm -hmm. yes and then you sort of liken it to the ongoing discussions of ai the current yeah. strikes in hollywood the future of yourself and your peers and how you can continue to do this work with these sort of things in mind bearing in mind that you need to make a living during it right. and doing it, sorry. And it's it's a very sensible question, in my opinion, to ask. And that's what we really want to discuss with you because there's so much, even just within this short post, it, there's so much in there that is actually all very good questions to be asking mm -hmm. of the industry and just to bring up as a discussion as a whole. You mentioned basically you had one final form designed before you went into everything. Was there anything on there saying this is your, your face for a single game or... Was no, it it's per in for perpetuity forever till wow. the end of time, till the end of time. Yeah. Okay. No, and I mean, th those are, those sorts of contracts are stand pretty standard in gigs, you know, kind of like across the board. So these are some of the things that I think the industry is wrestling with now, but yeah, it, it's basically forever. And it's not that exclusively, like, obviously I can still use my face and do the rest of my life but but it's a one-time fee for your face forever exactly yeah and again it's forever and people are like well if you know what you know now would you still have done it and i'm like i don't know i think maybe yes because it's it's cool but at the same time like is this me signing my own 
you know, like end of career thing. You know, like I, I think about yeah. all, and a lot of us it's do such all a the time. Unique situation to be in. It, like it is, and also as a, a voice actor, for sure. You know, this is a huge discussion in the voiceover community and the uh, mm-hmm. audio books and stuff, and just the idea. Yeah. I don't know. I still don't know. I've I've been wrestling with this like for months, and I still, I'm not. I'm just not a hundred percent sure um, how I I feel about it. You know. People are like, no, no, but what about the the exposure? It's so cool. And like, yeah, man, obviously, like, hopefully, maybe it'll help, you know, if if I get an audition and it's just one extra thing that I do, which is cool. I'm not even really thinking about it just for myself. I'm I'm trying to like, now that I have this opportunity to just think about like fellow actors and, and other people that are doing this, what is the future going to look like for us? And if people can make a whole hours of a movie with just a few photos of your face like i mean it's cheaper why would you bother getting to me (laughs) you know like (laughs) yeah i don't know you know it it reminds me of the old days of the video game itself back when midway first started they would take pictures of real people and they would use their likeness for these these character sprites and You know, that led to issues with Midway and the various actors that portrayed these characters with it did. legal okay. situations. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's almost like history repeating itself in a way, but I, I'm sure, you know, the, the legalities of it are more That's defined at this point. <laughs> yeah. And there, just very recently, there is a Bollywood actor, an Indian actor, Anil Kapoor, who just won the first AI kind of likeness case um, oh, in wow. India. So it seems like as the technology is developing, we are slowly hopefully you know getting to a point where these things are taken into consideration but it's tough right like i don't know how it's going to play out even just the wga the writers guild after they did reach their agreement it turned out that the studios basically in with when it came to the actors they like walked away because it didn't they didn't even meet any of their you know so it's I don't know. I I kind of personally thought that like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I thought like, okay, a lot of us were thinking like, okay, well, the WGA thing sorted itself out. So SAG's probably next and then apparently not. So yeah, it looks like it's going to be an uphill battle for a while. I mean, the the legalities of this are are very interesting in terms of, well, I mean, really everything we've mentioned, but even specifically with AI, especially when you have people who, let's just say are are trying to, I, I, I can't even say reform. I have to actually say to form these these actual laws because right yeah those, those older generations really tend to be the ones sort of making this kind of thing happen and really those are the ones who are very very out of touch and it's just it's it's scary to know really how these things are coming into play at least within the u.s specifically when you look at it sort of an international scope i would say that the eu tends to be very much more um competent <laughs> uh and even then that's that's I don't want to say this in an insulting manner, but I, I, I don't mean it to the extent where they are completely competent in how they're doing things, things because there's always so much to it, which really you have to get the perspectives of so many different people, the people involved in it, people who are writing it, who have the experience to be able to say, hey, I, I can write these laws with regards to this, but then I don't understand how this works with for this person and how this works for this company and how this will a- a- affect these people for the future or how this will affect certain things retrospectively, things like that. But it's just very scary, and especially now just with the AI thing itself. Because, for example, you could have gone in and given photos of your face. And <laughs> for all we know, let's just say they have used AI technology, maybe, to make your face work within the story. But yeah. then if some laws come into play where it's like, okay, yes, anybody who has signed their face away in perpetuity <laughs> can right. really have their face used for whatever reasons right. whatever you some other company comes in and buys that yeah you know like yeah. that asset <laughs> and then i exactly. end up being a fucking terrorist then i like the whole point <laughs> of it yeah. was like bro it's all over gosh so, yeah yeah it, it's just I mean, scary I, I, I laughingly but like that's literally something that i thought we, know, we i mean we so, laugh because it's, it's yeah. just so ridiculous to, to the extent that we should actually be afraid of how ridiculous yeah. it can get you know yeah. Yeah. uh now uh Regarding, you know, the actual process itself, did you expect to possibly be doing any voicing at all or, or was it no, just... No, and in scanning? retrospect, I I was so excited to be there that ironically, I am a voice actor. I mean, actually, so the, uh, uh, Sean, who is the voice actor, who also ironically is another bald brown dude like myself, um, <laughs> who 
he's super great at it but it's funny looking back on it you know it would have been i would have been like hey i also do voices but like whatever he did a great job and he, he's got a really impressive you know uh i look up to him for like voice like for me i don't have much of an animation kind of bo career at all mm-hmm. i've been told that my voice is a little more suited to a soothing narration and putting people to sleep kind of stuff so um or narrating <laughs> narrating titles like you know about science uh, science fiction and stuff maybe but i'm trying to do a little bit more of that could you see yourself i mean possibly trying out to to get your your voice into mortal kombat at some point in the future? i would love to it's been a dream of mine to try it's so compa- i mean it's so hard to get into anima- animated vo i've been in in this industry for a little bit for a few years it's just tough maybe i haven't had the right uh opportunity yet maybe honestly when it comes to animation i probably need a little bit more training to explore voices and stuff um that are different i do do characters and stuff within audiobooks so i have experience with that but i think from the little that i do understand of it um the animation vo world is quite different and it's a very very different skill set so it's definitely something that i that i would be interested in like exploring we do have past episodes with uh, previous guests who've been involved in the voice acting of Mortal Kombat, for example, cool. Jameson Price, who really, I mean, I mean, it's, it's funny, I'm like plugging our own episode to you, but you might find this, this specific episode with Jameson Price very interesting because he actually goes into heavy detail about how these, the, the voice acting differs for animations or anime, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's a very, very interesting process. So, I mean, just to hear you say that, you're obviously already aware of these mm-hmm. things but it's it's uh it's definitely a very very cool process um yeah in addition to everything else that goes on in mortal Kombat, for example and all these other shows and such you had mentioned in your reddit post you said they paid me once and never have to again never even have to give any credit anywhere That's and right. there's nothing i can do about it so uh, that that really surprises me as we've been you know kind of following the the various staff members that uh have gone into making this game we I did notice that it is difficult to find out what the facial actors are for yeah and another another uh, youtuber he made a, a YouTube video specifically about my character and my post as well and he was like and that's that's kind of when it occurred to me that maybe this you know b- being a bit of an outsider obviously to the gaming community like maybe this is an interesting thing to talk about with people you know just because he was like yeah you know it's hard for us. We have to do a bunch of digging to like even figure out who these people are. Um, and yeah, in the back of my mind, I, I just, I never knew. I just assumed that like, yeah, the way that on IMDb or whatever, like they have people's voices and you know who they are, that they'll be like at the end of, I, again, this is me with my backwards ass reminiscing of what Mortal Kombat used to be like, that there'll be like credits or something and they'll be like, you know, oh, people's they used to space, have that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So like maybe, you know, Quan Chi amalgamation of, Shah Jahan and, and I forget the other guy's name from the previous. Sean, so, but yeah, no, that, that, you're, you're exactly uh, right on there. I'm curious as well as to the actual process, as much as you, you can say, like in, in terms of how much freedom did you have behind approaching the character and such? Some comments I've seen where people are like, you did such a great job. You know, I feel a little guilty. Like, <laughs> I didn't, I'm so sorry to bum you out, bro. I didn't do anything. And for and most then, of our yeah. audience members who aren't, familiar with this process generally to make up a character there's about three different people that go into it there's the body motion capture artist there's the face model such as yourself and then there is the facial motion capture artist and they basically take your expressions and use that to model out a a structure that's going to go over top of these facial mocap artists it's so interesting because there's different people who all go into performing your character but it at the end of the day it it's your face, like you mentioned earlier. This whole thing, the whole reasoning behind that post, um, to artists, like credit is everything. Oh yeah, our credit, our IP, or the things we write, the music I make. I remember once I like played a guitar solo for friend. I, I was like, dude, you don't have to pay me. Just shout me out, you know. And I got burned there. Obviously, yes, money's great, and everybody wants more money, but like. That's really what it, that's your whole thing. Yeah, it's great that all my friends can play me, but if no one knows that it's, but the cool, well, I will say because of people like you and all the the fans, the few that I've interacted with, people are giving 
me the credit that I just feel, felt like I deserved a little bit, you know. So I'm very, yeah. very thankful for that. On that topic itself, actually, did anybody figure out that it was you, apart from people that, you know, knew you personally? Yes. So I uh, need to just double check and shout out this specific Twitter user. Again, I never use used really Twitter before this. The handle is at Camille Leonard, Quan Chi's CEO of Quan Chi Stans, is oh, okay. the, the handle. So this yeah, was please. the first person to basically say that through my own digging, uh, at least it's the first person that I saw, I was able to determine that um, Shah Jahan Khan, is, and from there, that's where everybody started to make videos and stuff. And then I think Dan Allen Gaming, he made a video of all the face models, which got a ton of you know views and stuff. That must be pretty surreal having somebody like literally find your... That's when it started, yeah. 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 <laughs> that, those 24 hours were wild. And then shortly thereafter, I made like a post of like my face and the Quan Chi face side by side. And I made that kind of like uh, the Reddit and Facebook and Instagram posts that you guys were talking about. Question I asked you earlier about whether or not you see that the door is still open for you to go and voice a character in Mortal Kombat. And obviously your response was, hell yeah. But yeah, it, it's a weird, it's a weird sort of thing for me to, to look at because on one hand it's like, you know, I'd love to do that as well. But then on the other hand, it's like, but I'd also like to be treated fairly for my face. <laughs> you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Yeah. So does that affect your opinion it's, on that I, answer Honestly, until you just said that, it, it would be kind of funny to be like, well, yeah, I'd love to voice my own face. But, <laughs> you know, but again, I don't want to like, Sean is great at it. So I'm not, you know, like I, he's awesome. So like, I, I don't, I'm not but trying Even to another like, character, for example. Yeah, but sure. Yeah. I think, I think it would be, yeah, it would be great. Like, of course, and I, this is what I do. This is what I love doing. Like I, one of the things I'm trying to do more of this year other than animation and, and stuff is audio dramas. I love those. Acting, performing, all, however it is done, I just like to do it. So I would I would 100% love to do more of it, you know? With Quan Chi himself, obviously you mentioned that you enjoyed the games very, very early on, but you didn't keep really up to date with them. Were you aware of Quan Chi prior to the role? No. So... um I told my bandmate he lost his fucking mind but i didn't say who the character uh -huh. was so he the first thing he said was dude you look like quan chi <laughs> <laughs> so he predicted it so <laughs> that's yeah. actually awesome it's funny you actually look a lot like quan chi from mortal Kombat conquest to me who was played by uh, donnie moropis <laughs> oh, great so guy great guy oh yeah he's been on the show too and we've, awesome. we've talked with him and so it's it's cool to see uh you know so you, you Maybe we should all start a support group or something. You guys like should a, all start a band. <laughs> <laughs> like a hardcore band? <laughs> the Brotherhood of Shadow. <laughs> now, has, has that sort of affected your favorite character? Obviously, we asked you at the beginning who your favorite character is. Has this brought up Quan Chi in your eyes? I'm, I, dude... I got to play the game before I answer that yeah. question. Yes, you, you know, do. Yeah, I need to. I think it's time. I think it's... It's funny, like, people were like... I was like, no, no, I didn't, I don't like get the game. I still got to go buy it. They're like, what? So <laughs> I was like, no, I just haven't, I just haven't like got the game yet. So I'll, I'll probably get it. But yes, a bunch of my friends have it. My, uh, my new band as well, like they have it. So they've been playing. How has your association with becoming the face of Quan Chi shaped your profession and your personal journey? Again, it's, it's pretty early. You mean in terms of like as an actor? And even in your personal life, you've mentioned that you've had people call you up and Knowing that it's you right away. I see, um, I see. Yeah. Um, well, I get up every morning and I perform a fatality on my cat. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, um, so it's been a, a, a year of, so this and the succession thing, and I was actually a major character in a Lifetime movie this year. It's pretty hilarious. It's like a murder mystery. Uh -huh. So there are three big things for me that happened in my career. I think this is one of them. And, you know, I got back to touring. Um, and, but like, I'm still very much a struggling creative person, guys. Like I am in debt. We live in a very modest apartment. We don't own it. We rent our, so it's in terms of the, like, I think, and I, I'm probably guilty of this too, a little bit. Like I, I'm starting to see more and more the whole, like, um, this idea that someday you will 
arrive or feel like you're at the pinnacle something, there's always one next step, you know? And I think that whether it's this or whether succession or whatever, or any of these things, like it's still so much of an uphill battle to do this stuff. And I don't say battle just because we're talking about Mortal Kombat. Um, that, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Round three of your life. You're 40. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it, I guess I'm trying to, what I'm trying to say is like, I'm super happy and proud when I sit and look at my life in a very like meta way that I have literally accomplished every goal I ever had. And then some, um, but, um, I still kind of like have a lot left to do. And, and it's sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming to just to think about, I'm not going to just like chill and have some kids or, you know, or that that's not what I want. Or like, you know, I just, there's always going to be this part of me that is just seeking to be part of something else. And does that mean that I am not satisfied enough with like myself this is getting very meta very quickly that's good but but you know what i mean but like so i think maybe that that's something that i wrestle with these days is like what is it that is enough to like fill and sometimes it does feel like you are are fulfilled like i've had periods like that with my band because the band was like a very community oriented experience where we got to meet like-minded people and we were like a political band when help people feel like they belonged at a time when a lot of people didn't feel like they could express themselves openly as like Americans or, or whatever. I don't know where this specific experience is yet on that journey for me. I guess now I'm going to have to go to some video game conferences. Like, is that a thing that we do? Oh, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so can I just do that? Can I just like, like, I don't even know, dude. I've yeah. never like, my <laughs> bandmate was like, bro, you got to go to e- Evo or Evo with, or with Evo, me. And, yeah. And yeah. so is that, do I, can I just like go there and just like walk around and be like, Hey guys. Oh, you, you could, you could even cosplay if you wanted. Yeah, I was okay. going to say, do the full cosplay. Okay. Yeah. yeah I might have to go <laughs> to the gym a little bit more, but, uh, you know, um, but yeah, so that, that part remains to be seen, you know, um, let's, let's see, let's see what, cool. what, the, what the future holds. I, I, I kind of want to bring back to Mortal Kombat for one sure. second, just because it's a question I've asked you about if you'd voice another character, but with everything that, you know, we've just discussed, would you also face scan for another character if you had the that i would i would think twice about i would mm. hope that there would be some method by which um there could be some more protections in there you know and the problem man is if you say like a lot of people say i think the same thing to um like the way we started this whole thing like not taking roles that you feel are stereotypical or whatever like yeah somebody's always going to take it, you know? Yeah. So what in an, in the acting sense, like ideally you want someone, someone who understands the nuances to be making the story. So the story doesn't exist in the first, so that character type thing. But, but with this, I don't know. I feel like I, I already did that once. So mm-hmm. I got that out of it. So like, I don't like, why would, if they, but I mean, they already scanned me for one. So why would they need, you know, like if they are going to make me another character, they already, that's also a fair point. Yeah. 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 So, um, and I remember someone asked me this the other day, they were like, I'm surprised that they even needed you to come in. Couldn't they just do it from digital? And I I know that there's some things about like lighting and all that, but I don't know. And that, that's the other scary part is that we're probably getting to a point where they don't, need us to come in at all or maybe they can just find my photo online well, so that's actually what i kind of wanted to mention this really yeah. reminds me of that black mirror episode black mirror yeah exactly that this is why we were talking about it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's scary, <laughs> it is yeah. scary. yeah yeah i want to just be like nether realm mortal Kombat. thank you this shit is amazing i never <laughs> imagined that i would do this it's just weird, and I'm figuring out why it's weird. I'm not, like, mad at you. I feel like I just wanted to say that. I'm very thankful for every opportunity yeah. that I get. Always, it's a given. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it, that does. The, I just want to, you know, make sure that, like, people understand that, like, it's just something it's just that a, we, we just have to think about this stuff. Yeah, exactly. it's an interesting you know, talking point right now yeah. because there's so much happening in the industry, as we yeah. mentioned before. We talked about the SAG after strikes and yeah. 
what that's all about, you know. Yeah, and also kinda... just so people are clear, Succession was done last year before the strikes. I am not a full member of SAG, but I do wholeheartedly support all. Oh, yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. yeah. As you're saying, thank you to NRS, et cetera. Obviously, it's a great opportunity. And I think one thing that people also need to be aware of is you can be very happy to be a part of something or you could be yes. cool with somebody or happy for the opportunity, but still also criticize or bring up the Absolutely. Point and this is something that creatives always are told that they should be grateful for even having that and that part and that that often and unfortunately that that kind of like does that to us sometimes to to not fight for the things that we deserve yeah hmm. so that's why these discussions and all this stuff is so important sort of creates that apathy in a way which yeah really only brings yeah. positives to one side of the yeah of for the sure media. like you know i should oh my god i should be so grateful like if you, even if i just you know just reading all the comments on my the post of the thing that i made um which is very, very, I, we could do a whole episode if I just read every, you know, comment that whether it's an actor friend of mine left on my post or someone random who's like, bro, what are you complaining about? Like, this is the coolest shit ever. Are you kidding? You know, <laughs> and I agree with chunks of all of them, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Who needs money? Who needs food? Who needs food? <laughs> <laughs> In your eyes, kind of looking back at your career, have there been any significant roles which stand out to you even now? In 2020, I had the opportunity to do some virtual theater um, with a company called Fresh Lime Soda Productions in New York. It focuses on South Asian artists. It's based on this old soda from like India. It's a kind of a drink thing that you could drink in India and Pakistan and stuff. But anyway, um, <clears throat> we did this, me and another actor, another great actually actor named Sean Jane. We've been sort of called each other's twins, although now I don't have any hair, so... I think we don't look like each other more, but, but anyway, so we got to do this play called guards at the Dodge, which is about the Dodge Mahal. And so the guy who built the Dodge Mahal is Shah Jahan, the emperor Shah Jahan. And the story is about these two guys, these two friends who are guarding it as it's being built and as it's about to be completed. And it's a play about power and authority and just taking orders it's just a two-person play. It's usually done live, but it was actually very well suited to like Zoom and COVID times. We kind of worked with some cool projection designers. That was one of the first times that I got to inhabit a role that really I just felt very closely connected to. I don't know if it was all because it was in the identity stuff, like doing a play that's actually from the subcontinent and feeling like able to jump into a story that way. That for sure really sticks with me. Then I would also say when I was getting sober, and I, I mentioned briefly that I got back into acting through a theater troupe. So the theater troupe, they were formerly called the Improbable Players. It's now called Second Act, but it's actually a troupe based here in Boston. They now have an Ohio chapter that is made up of all artists that are themselves in recovery. They're, and it's, the the plays are designed to just be very simple, kind of like minimal props and stuff. And they mostly tour high schools and middle schools and like community groups and stuff. And they have a series of plays that are about different facets of addiction and family stuff with addiction. And for me, I remember I spent a year or two just touring up and down the East Coast with that theater company, doing these plays day after day, night after night. And just after you do the, the, the play, you tell your own like one minute story at the end and then invite the audience to ask questions. So like mostly high school kids and stuff ask you questions uh, related to addiction and like your own story and doing that as a brown person, you know, as a Muslim, as a whatever, that was a really, I think, important informational experience for me. Yeah, uh, for sure. For, you know, a whole host of reasons. One question that really kind of comes to mind based on your, your whole career and the experiences you've had detailed for us is like... Are there any sort of mentors or peers that you have had who have possibly helped you in your careers, maybe helped you with advice itself, maybe helped you with getting into certain areas where you didn't think you'd be a part of them? So many people in the the halls and rooms of like programs like AA and NA, I call I would call mentors and friends. And when I when I did eventually go back to college, a professor, Yana Sladkova. I just was confused. I didn't know what I was doing. I was back in school. I was 27. I was like, I don't know. She she sort of just helped me sort through some of this like, 
identity stuff. And then I guess like in, in my early 20s, my bandmates in Kaminas, we sort of like were each other's like networks and source of support. And also like the cool thing about the Boston community is it's definitely something I feel a little bit more a part of now, part of like close knit the community. Yeah, the creative folks here. It's an interesting time where like you actually don't necessarily need to go move to New York or LA. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with these places. I've been to all of them. It's just cool that uh, we're able to like do our own thing a little bit too. For those of our listeners who are stepping into some of these creative avenues and creative fields that you've worked in, do you have any piece of advice that you'd like to give to them or anything that you wish you had received when you were starting out? Hmm. I bet a lot of people say this, but just like try your best not to be like limited by whatever narrow conception you might have of yourself related to like your, whatever you think you might be like, don't let that stop you from trying something else, something that terrifies you. You do truly have to do stuff which terrifies you with this industry in particular. Again, I'm sure I'm definitely not the only person to say this, but you, you just rejection and stuff becomes like, I, get rejected a hundred times a month. It will get to you in the beginning, but it's just, it's literally a numbers game. If you start thinking of it that way, that it's just about repetition. And I'm, I'm sort of learning this. You can't really do this thing, this thing alone. I can't, I don't know about other people, but I, if I spend too much time in my head, dude, it's like, I don't even know. I might not even get up. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's a sentiment echoed by many people. It's just one of those things where yeah. you just sort of have to, it, it's so simple to say, but you just sort of have to accept some yeah. of the things that you do or who you are and such. Now, speaking of accepting who you are and everything, we've mentioned this uh, on previous section of the episode, but your podcast, you've already, we've already talked about it and our listeners can definitely hear more about you and your experience through your podcast, which is called King of the World. Is there anything else that you would like to plug I have an interview style uh, show where I talk to other um, uh, American Muslim creatives called Fa Fawn Boy Friday. It's like a weekly bite-sized thing where I, I literally have like 10 to 12 minute conversations with different people, different creators. We have an investigative series coming out next year um, about Martha's Vineyard called Witness Chappaquiddick, which we're very, very excited about. I'm also a co-producer on a a short film anthology called a Ramadan America, uh, which is coming out next year. We're about to go into production, which are five films that are about Ramadan and Eid. They're narrative short fiction films, all sorts of different genres. It's a product of a open screenwriting competition we had for American Muslim screenwriters. We got 50 submissions from all over the place. We picked five and our company is, we're just making them all. Are we going to like release it next year? It's pretty cool. Um, my band that I play with a lot is called Ravi Shavi. I'd love for you to check us out. The, the one I've yeah. been with uh, that isn't as active anymore, but the one we talked about mostly was called the Caminas. And then, yeah, you can just follow me as I uh, perform fatalities on people for the rest of time. <laughs> also, And possibly so, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be leaving links in the description. Yeah. Too. And I guess we're all going to play. Uh, we're going to play that when this DLC thing happens, that we're oh, going to play together. Yes, I think we yes, definitely. Uh, I think that's a great idea. I like. It'll be a lot of it. fun. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll both pick up Quan Chi immediately. Sounds good. Just... <laughs> so for those of our listeners who are, are hearing this, keep an eye out for our soul streams. That's our live show that we uh, air on Twitch and YouTube. And uh, through that, you'll be able to come and meet uh, Quan Chi himself. Let's the, the do it. Yeah, I'll Quan talk Chi. to anybody. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> well, in, in the lead up to, to uh, you performing your first MK1 finisher, I have to ask, do you have a favorite finisher from the previous games? What was the one that, what were a couple of Raidens from Mortal Kombat 2? Do you remember? Uh, the electric grab, was that on it? That yeah, there's the one where he shocked them until they exploded, and then there was another Dude, one. Dude, how could I forget about Scorpion? Yes, how that's what I was expecting. I forget about Scorpion? <laughs> okay, you're going to have to go back to the beginning and just forget everything that I said. I am, I used, Scorpion was my jam, dude. The whole, <laughs> like, hook thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I might have to replace what I said. I said Liu Kang, Sonya, and Raiden. I think Scorpion, dude. Let's replace it with Scorpion. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. And now, didn't he do one where he used to like 
either he would like like fire would shoot out of his face or he would like eat your head or something. Am I making Almost. that up? Pulls off his mask. It's a skull and he yes. blows fire at you. That's thing. what it was. Yeah, that was that was pretty badass from MK2. So where can our listeners actually find you? Where was the best place for them to keep an eye on what you're up to? I guess probably Instagram. Uh, my um, name is uh, Shahjistan, S-H-A-H-J-I-S-T-A-N. It's uh, a great pun. Yeah. Username. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. That, I guess that's probably out of the you know uh, that's probably the 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 place that I'm on on the most. Yeah, for and sure. So and we'll also leave, leave links to that in our description, and cool. you'll find it on the show notes on MortalCombatOnline.com. That sounds good. So thank you, firstly, to all of our listeners for stopping by the Realmcast, and thank you to Shahjahan Khan, Shahjistan, for joining us on this episode. Really, it's been such a pleasure talking Thank you. No, no, I, yes. this, this has been such a treat. This is, I, I feel so lucky to be able to do this. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Portal Comic Group on Facebook, as well as on our social media pages at Realmcast. You can also join our official Discord channel hosted on Mortal Kombat Online server through the link in the description where we discuss Mortal Kombat along with our listeners. And special thanks to Uppercut Editions for their continued support. The Realmcast is the official podcast of Mortal Kombat Online. And you can catch up on all episodes of The Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, Spotify, and MortalKombatOnline.com. As well as links to our live show, The Soul Stream, can be found on MKO or Realmcast.com. Thank you. Thank you.